And as we do on the fourth Wednesday of every month, we talk with our superintendent of our Mankato Area Public Schools, and that is Dr. Paul Peterson, who is with us today with another staff from the Mankato Area Public School District, and that is Scott Hare, the Director of Student Support Services. Good morning, both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. It's great to see it's you again. It's great to see you. Well, first, I'm going to talk to Paul here. I see that the school board voted to go ahead with the vote for the a referendum. That's right. Yeah, just this week, the board had a big decision to make. We've talked about that here on air yep. the last few months, and the board uh, took the step that we were anticipating and planning for, unanimous vote that uh, we'll put in front of voters now in November, two questions for a bond referendum. How much is that bond referendum again? First question is $105 million. Second question is $15 million. Um, and question two, if that one passes, that is contingent on pa- question one passing. Would you just summarize those in a nutshell Yeah, for you us? bet. So question one is really all about safety and security uh, within our schools, um, early learning, and learning and wellness. So um, tightening up some of our safe, uh, secure entrances in our schools, making sure that we're expanding uh, where we can with child care and early learning, both at Eagle Lake and, and in the district. Uh, and then the final part of question one is about learning and wellness. West High School, um, the first phase, major renovations of academic space, fine arts, athletics, um, replacing the pool, mm-hmm. and uh, getting that uh, up at Dakota Meadows. So that's all in- incorporated in question one. If that passes, voters will have a chance to uh, weigh in. They will weigh in on question two, which is all about our co-curricular improvements, outdoor facilities, the stadiums at both East High School and at West High School, turf in the field, um, replacing the track, making the guest uh, experience a little bit better with some better bleachers and lighting and concessions, et cetera, Um, and really expanding the opportunity for outdoor learning for FIED classes for our community. That's all incorporated into question two. Like I said, that's $15 million. Um, Question one has to pass in order for question two to be considered. Okay, very good. So that will be on the docket, and the time frame for that is? November 7th, though there will be early voting. That will kick off already this fall. We're going to be out and about um, at any community organization or church basement imaginable, sharing information about what the referendum entails, what it would mean to kids and staff in our community, um, making sure that people have the very best information before they cast their vote. So if people want to get more information, they just contact you, you could speak at groups or wherever. Absolutely, and we also have a comprehensive website, isd77.org slash 2023vote, that um, will house all of the information about the size, the scope, voting, polling places, um, tax impact, will all be housed um, on our website, and we're really encouraging people to go there to learn more. Okay, very good. And now last month when we talked, we talked about mental health and the importance of doing more and expanding and looking for mental health issues because it's becoming a bigger issue. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything in the referendum, or how is that going to become financed? Because that was a concern. That's right. I I can tell you that we're, we're really excited that when we look at the safety security of our schools, that isn't just about the physical structure. Sure. You know, we yes, we want to make sure that we have entrances that have double points of entry where we're checking in with guests to see what their business is and to provide them with access to the building and in a safe and secure way. But part of that renovation um, with school entrances is that's going to open up square footage in many of our schools that we then can redesign and repurpose for the very things that you were just talking about, whether that's special ed- specific special education services or mental health counseling support services that um, are very prevalent in our schools now. Um, it's re- also really important that our staff has the space available to them to meet 
not only with kids, but sometimes with families, yep. sometimes with community, outside community agencies, um, in a confidential, welcoming, um, and emotionally safe space. So that's a long answer, uh, but the, the answer is yes. All right. Well, now I'm going to turn to Scott Hare, who was the Director of Student Support Services that is in direct, well, you work directly with the mental health yes. issues in the schools. Scott, how is the mental health of our schools? Have you seen increases in needs in students? I mean, we had the pandemic and that I think set some students off and talk a little bit about the evolution of that. Sure, we've always had mental health services and staff to support students with those needs, but uh, COVID, the pandemic did really increase the needs of students. We saw that here in Mankato, we saw it in the state, nationally. And our students are resilient, but we still have mental health concerns and students are still coming back with those needs. And because of that, um, our staff is very much aware of it. Uh, We do our best to provide those services and we've added some new things uh, in the past two years to help provide that support for our students and families um, that have those needs. So how much has it gone up? I mean, do you have Uh, enough staff? Because I know that, for example, in the community, if there's a student with a mental health issue, it can take a long time sometimes to get to see a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So it's, I mean, if it's yep. out in the community, it must be in the schools too. Correct. I, I appreciate you saying the waiting to get that, those services. Two of the positions that we've added in the last two years, a year ago we did a pilot project with a youth mental health navigator. And the role of that person, mainly at the elementary, but will be going into the secondary schools as the, the year goes on, is is to help get students those resources at a faster rate. And so we've actually narrowed that down for well over 100 students to about a month. And sometimes that waiting can be six months or further. And sometimes it's too late. Yes, correct. And so we just added a second youth mental health navigator. So we will have one on the east attendance area and the west attendance area uh, to help connect those families to those resources for those students that need that service. But are those resources available? Like I said, because I know there's a shortage of of therapists and that sort of thing. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. That I guess space that's not Correct. being filled. Well, part of that is that's our student support services mm-hmm. team. Um, they do their best to kind of fill that gap. So if a student has to wait because there is a lack of resources, everybody's trying to find therapists. Uh, and if there is that lack of therapists, our, it could be a school counselor meeting with that student. It could be a school psychologist. It could be our social workers meeting with the students and trying to keep the student um, working on the skills, the mindfulness, their anxiety, their depression, whatever it might be, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of that mental health needs until they can get those resources and connect it. And then we collaborate with the outside mental health services. So have you seen different issues arise in the last few years after the pandemic? I mean, were there new things that came up that you maybe hadn't anticipated? I think one of the biggest areas that we're working on is school anxiety. And so as students, you know, were out of school online, um, not connecting with their peers, it all just kind of changed for them. It was, it was a whole new way of living. Uh, some students develop anxiety about coming back to school. Um, the anxiety of learning with their peers sitting right next to them. So we've had to really work hard with uh, our students that uh, struggle with that and with the outside um, collaboration with mental health resources to help us in that in that realm. We've seen an increase in that. How about as far as attendance and that sort of thing? Because, you know, when obviously when it was the pandemic, nobody went 
to school, so they didn't have that routine. I mean, is it, are they getting back into it? Are they coming back yeah. full force, or do you still have some that maybe aren't wanting we, we, to come we've back? We've had some students that have struggled um, in terms of coming back, and but we're getting better. We've seen good improvement in, in terms of that, and part of that is because of our student support team. They may go do a home visit. Uh, okay. They may send out the school psychologist, the counselor, the social worker might go out to the home to meet with the student and work on that transition back. Sometimes that student can't make it a full day. Sometimes that student, we just need to get them into the front door. Then maybe to a period, then maybe to two periods. Um, and so we, we work on transitioning that student back that might have that anxiety, that, that phobia of coming back to school. How are the teachers doing? Because sometimes when you've got kids with a lot of issues, you maybe you feel like you're being a babysitter versus being in, an instructor. Yep. You know, I, I believe our teachers have an incredible amount of skills to work with kids. And our teachers, many of them just have that kind heart, that nurturing, wanting to help students. And that's why they went into teaching. Our teachers really do collaborate with our student support staff. We have systems in place in each one of our buildings to refer students to get that. So if I'm a social studies teacher at either West or East High School, for instance, mm -hmm. I have a student that's struggling with maybe some, some anxiety or some behavior, some social, emotional areas, they can connect with the student support services and get the help they need to work with that student. We have a multi-tiered system of support in place for uh, different tiered levels of support that students need. And then that collaboration with that classroom teacher um, goes a long way with getting the support that student needs. What about the teachers themselves? I mean, they obviously went through a pandemic and they're coming back and some behaviors have changed of students and we have cell phones and, and things like mm -hmm. that. I mean, and so I know you meant, uh, Paul mentioned that my husband filled in for Julia Battern when she went uh, to Antarctica for three weeks and he filled in because he's a professor and he took uh, time and help teacher science classes and he it's very different teaching high school students than college students and also he, the frustration with students not paying attention because of the phones and things like that and he sometimes felt like a babysitter <laughs> so how do you help the teachers because it's got to be draining for them yep. and what about their mental health because we yeah. have lost teachers I know because of that yeah correct you know and I think that in in terms of our teachers they're, they're very resilient um, and they support each other, and there's supports in place through our Department of Human Resources to get support for teachers if they need it. But generally speaking, uh, the behaviors of students because of COVID mm -hmm. have changed. Yes. The needs of students have changed. And there's a, there's a new dynamic in education, and teachers are working hard with our students, with our student support staff to, to work um, in terms of the social-emotional areas that students are expressing. And yes, the cell phones has been an issue. Um, recently, a new policy was in introduced to the school board this week on a cell phone policy. We'll have a second reading at the next one. We've got um, feedback from our teachers on that policy, feedback um, from different uh, people in terms of development of that policy. And it will really um, lead to, I, I believe, some changes in our schools with cell phones, which are distracting which we do know that cell phones with, with, there is data out there that if students spend a lot of time on cell phones, on TikTok and other types of apps, does bring depression, anxiety uh, for, for students and a lot of, uh, specifically for, for female students, especially in those, those uh, middle school years. And so I think the cell phone policy is a bright step in that direction to give teachers 
uh, a tool they need uh, to to work with students in the classroom. I'm going to turn to Paul on that because mm-hmm. the, the cell phone policy was something that just newly introduced at the school board meeting this past Monday, I believe. Talk a little bit about that. What is the purpose and what do you hope happens? Or right. Well, I, I, I think that our school board looking at tightening up our cell phone policy is all part of Really, it's happening probably across the country here in Minnesota, but in Mankato specifically. We are in the process of, and it's ongoing, of reestablishing the expectations of what it means to be a learning organization and a learning system, a learning school, and that then, of course, means classrooms where learning is happening. And our job as the adults is to make sure that we are reducing and eliminating the barriers for students to learn. For teachers to teach, yes, but for students ultimately to learn. And the data is clear. Scott is absolutely right. Over the last few years, COVID did not help. People sitting at home did not help. All of the social media things, that's not not helpful. Right. Um, but the data is clear that the idea of multitasking in a classroom where you're on your phone, you've got your earbud in, oh, and by the way, the teacher's trying to get you. <laughs> that's just not how a 15-, 16-year-old, 12-year-old is going to maximize their learning. Right. And so as the adults, we need to be clear, we need to be kind, we need to be clear about what is inbounds and what's out of bounds when it comes to our school system. And yes, we still want that to be a warm, exciting, innovative environment, but first things first, we gotta have people's attention. And if there are things that we can do as a system to um, take away distractions, (laughs) and we, certainly understand that we will have some kids who disagree. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm sure you, well you know when Jeff was teaching that class there was some that he told them to put their phone away and they, they said, well you can't make me basically. <laughs> well, And, and, <laughs> and you know as a guest, uh, as a guest a substitute, what do you do? Well and we, we also want to be mindful, we, we never want schools to be places where kids have to turn off the real world in order to go and then they enter back into the real world when they leave school. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a little silly as well. So we, we want to be highly relevant. We want to make sure that schools are reflective of the society that we live in. And at the same time, if there are just, if it's just clear distractions that we can remove that helps promote learning, again, still in a safe and an engaging and a welcoming way for kids, and then for staff, in, in order for our staff to have a fighting chance to keep kids' attention... Yeah. Which I, which we, as Scott said, we've got amazing teachers, but we got to provide them with some some assistance and help to make sure that uh, they can do that every day. So the next step is what? Yeah. So right now the board's in the listening mode. As Scott said, the first reading happened on Monday night. Um, the policy is out there for the public to view. Is the policy saying no bring no phones or put them in a basket when you come in the room or what? Yeah, I mean, it's, we don't it's know really yet. saying out of sight, out of mind. Is okay. that during the instructional day, during instructional time? Um, Phones are phones are prohibited. Um, a little bit more uh, leniency at the high school level, like say, for example, during lunch or maybe during passing time. Okay. But it's really tightening down at the middle level, grade six through eight. When that when that initial bell rings at the start of the school day, through the end of the day, um, phones are not to be um, not to be out. Because I always wonder, what is the emergency really? There there usually are not that many big emergencies that you have to, you know, I had, I actually substituted for a college class here and the students, I said, please put your cell phones away unless you are afraid you're going into labor or having a heart attack. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of looked at me like, you're weird. But, <laughs> you know. You know, it's, it's only been two days and w- our office has already received 
comment from parents mm-hmm. talking about, well, what if there's an emergency and my student really needs to talk to me? And the answer is simple. All students should feel safe, and we don't ever want anyone to feel like they are in harm's way in our schools. Mm-hmm. If they ever feel like that, they need to go directly to an adult and, or directly to the office where that phone call can be placed right. to a parent. Yeah. I mean, how do we do it in the old days? That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, Scott, what sort of um, things are you having students come forward with? I mean, are you is there issues of bullying still uh, that you have to deal with? And are there issues of students' life at home that you still deal with? Or what are some yeah. of the big things that yeah. seem to occur? You know, I, I, it's a great question, and I, I, we always will have students that feel like they're being bullied. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a procedures in each one of our buildings on how we work with that student and how we investigate that and how we try to help that student um, and the others that, that are part of that um, to diminish that bullying that's going on. I think some of the bigger areas that we're seeing is still, I, I, we've been talking about cell phones. Uh, it's it's the outside stuff that happens on cell phones between students. The weekends always bring a, a, a Monday morning um, conflict with some students because of social media that goes on over the weekend. Because and they're bullying online? or That or just making statements and, and breakups or it could be a bunch of different things. It's really about a collaboration, a partnership with, with our school administrators, our faculty, as well as parents. Um, parents having an understanding of what their kids are using that cell phone, phone and what they're um, watching and spending time on. How do you do that? I've got teenagers, mm-hmm. so how yeah. do you do that? I, I mean, especially if you've got high schoolers. I, I think it's just um, when, when I, my kids are all out of the house, but when they were in our house, we 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 bought the cell phones. We paid for the cell phones. We we viewed the cell phones to make sure we were kind of had an idea of what they were spending their time on. And I think um, as parents do that, I know it's hard. It's difficult. Um, but the data is out there that students are spending a great deal of time on these sites, and some of these sites are leading to some of the things we've talked about in terms of mental health um, issues for students. As uh, as a person who does the student support, are there certain sites or things that are really noted to cause problems with students? I mean, yeah. are there things you could list that parents should watch out for or be concerned about? Well, interesting enough, we had um, uh, Kevin Waterstreet in from the Bureau of Criminal Investigation uh, do a little presentation to our administrators uh, a couple weeks ago. And a lot of that is on some of these sites that students are spending time on. And um, one of the interesting things is it's changing all the time. The minute you, you a parent gets aware of one site, <laughs> another there's one. another site that pops up. But I think it's just really having discussions with your kids about how they're spending time and, and what they're doing on their phones. Um, is I mean, what is I it would playing encourage. violent games? Is it going to? I mean, watching weird videos or I it, it could be <laughs> it could be that could be a, a spending just watching TikTok videos that show certain body images um, that then female students feel that that they're going to develop me- a mental health because they don't have that body image. Uh, there's a lot of data out there that not only is that raised suicide um, rates for for students. Um, and it's just it's it's those are the things that our our our, our mental health staff work with um, at a, on a daily basis with with students as well as with their parents and guardians. I, th- I think what's become so much more concerning as technology has evolved is I mean we're, when you think of back in the day it was um, do violent video games you know cause maybe some some behaviors or some 
whatever that that right. They said, does it you know you watching Fortnite or whatever those things are? Does that cause you to become a school shooter? So now you fast forward to the year 2023, and things are so much more individualized and personalized. Now the greatest concerns are that students are accessing devices, they're on the internet interacting with people that they have no idea who they are and could be obviously fakes and all of those things and so whether it's their physical safety whether it's their financial safety Mm -hmm. whether it's and then the social emotional things that as children they are just not developed enough to handle then oftentimes those things spill into schools i mean even adults get duped on online it seems a lot yeah yeah, so one, one of the things, too, that we, what we try to do is twice a year now, this is new for uh, what we've been doing the last couple of years, is a social-emotional um, screener. Oh. So twice a year, um, grades three th- and up, uh, students have, a, have an opportunity to, to fill out a survey on, on how they're feeling about certain areas. And there's some open-ended questions that they can answer. And, and it's a way for us to see how our students are doing with their social-emotional well-being, as well as if there's our students that are struggling, it's an opportunity for us to find out who those students are and, and connect with those students and possibly needing to connect with their parents in terms of getting them the help they need. That's been an, a game-changer for so us the last couple of years. That's new, though. That's that's new, and and that is part of something that's a growing trend for school districts is is that, that screener um, in terms of, of trying to get students to, to let us know because you have a lot of students that just keep it inside, aren't going to talk mm-hmm. about it, but this is an opportunity that for them to share that information. Our student support teams review that data, and um, we connect with students that, that are that are needing that help. Do you ever have parents said that's not your place to do that? <laughs> yeah, we've had parents say that, and some parents will will have their kids opt out. So we allow parents to opt their students out. Um, parents have a right to come in and take a look at the questions we're asking, and um, it's very few, less than a handful, that will opt out. Okay, that, well, you know that always happens, and saying not your business or whatever. <laughs> yep. So are there things parents can do um, or society in general can do to try and help our kids? Well, we've talked about the cell phones, I think, what they yep. can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about talking with their with their students, um, having open discussions with their students. Uh, you know, students are, are, are n- some will talk with their parents very openly, some will not. Um, but if a student does say that they're struggling to, to a parent or to a guardian, take that seriously. Work, and if you can't get the help you need, you can work with our student support sa- uh, staff because they know the resources. We know what those resources are in the community. We can collaborate with them to try to connect them with those uh, services out in the community. The district has been making a real effort at suicide prevention. Correct. And you have brought in uh, a guest who attempted suicide and, and failed and is now spreading her message. Uh, I, f- I forgot her name. Emma Emma Benoit. Yes, and she's been back several times. So that's a, that's an effort of education of uh, students and parents. How is that being received? And I mean, do you feel that you can you see any tangible evidence that that's been helping well, students? Well, one of the things that came out of that was the Hope Squad. So Emma talked about the Hope Squad. Hope. Squ- what is that? It is a suicide prevention program, peer to peer. Okay. So it's a peer program, and it started out of, I believe, Idaho or Utah, um, and it was a high school that had multiple suicides over a period of time. They developed the Hope Squad, and and they have had maybe one suicide over the last 10, 15 years. Drastic reduction. 
So Emma has brought attention to the Hope Squad. So we will, in connection with the United Way and getting resources, we've been able to put the Hope Squad in four of our secondary buildings next year. And it's a peer-to-peer. So peers will probably feel more comfortable telling another peer Mm -hmm. versus going to an adult that that they have suicide ideation. And these peers aren't going to try to fix that student, but the peers will be trained to how to listen and then work with an adult to let the adults know about that student's um, suicide um, ideations. And um, so we have our first training coming up here in a couple of weeks in September. Now, who is trained? Students or teachers? Or the who? teachers, the advisors will get trained. Okay. And then peers are selected by their peers uh, in this program. And then those peers get trained by those advisors. And they get weekly lessons in terms of mental health awareness and different strategies and skills. And um, those peers then will be known throughout their buildings as the Hope Squad. Okay. And so if we think of the Link Crew, for for instance, and welcoming students, engaging students, mentoring students, this is just another way for students in terms of our groups of students peer-to-peer to help in, in the areas of suicide awareness. Is this at the high school level? or is So it middle school and high oh, school. Oh, middle school and high school, okay. I think what's important, Karen, to reinforce about Hope Squad is while the school's take on these responsibilities of working with kids when they're with us, it takes all of us. It takes a community to wrap their hands around or their their arms around these kids, all of our kids. And so whether it's MSU, Mankato Clinic, Mayo Mayo Health System, um, the Greater Mankato United Way, I mean, all of these areas identifying mental health within kids especially as a need, and then how do we work together? I mean, there are so many committees going on right now in our community <laughs> about mm-hmm. um, oh. how to best do this work. Sure. And um, it's just so important, and we're, we're proud to be a part of it. I'm going to ask Scott this one. Since the legalization of marijuana, cannabis, is that a concern of students self-medicating more because it's going to be re- more readily available? Yep. Have you seen or heard anything in the scope of schools it, yep. you know, that yep. have done it, had a, issues before? Correct. And, and that's something that we've been working on uh, for the last several years in terms of chemical awareness. Mm-hmm. And and this really doesn't change the new law, what will happen in schools. It's still not allowed in schools. There's still an age limit as to when they can right. use it legally. But I mean, access might be easier. For access could be easier. I, I will tell you this, the legislature um, passed some more funding for student support staff. Okay. And our district chose to use that money to hire a new chemical health counselor. We've only had one for the district and now we will have two for the district. And so we'll have one working with our east attendants and one working with our west attendants um, schools. And we're really excited about that additional chemical health um, advisor uh, counselor because we do have students that that are experiencing um, addiction and we need to help those students. And again, it's it's not only helping students, but it's connecting them to the outside resources to get them the, the help that they need. How about the issue of fentanyl? We hear about the opioid crisis, and recently I've just interviewed some folks on that and talking about how that's such a scary thing because, you know, just a tiny, tiny bit can be kill someone. And is that an issue? Do you, like, do the Narcan in the schools? Correct. I think, like, a lot of places now have that as a something, as a, I guess, a help. Yeah, so it's required now, but we were ahead of the game. Oh, so okay. if uh, last year our district worked and put a policy together and we had it at, at our secondary school dis- uh, buildings, now it's in all of our buildings. Okay. And so it'd be, and we have teams within those buildings that are trained on how to administer it. And um, 
Is it scary? Yes, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, sometimes these, stu- these students can take it without even knowing they're taking it. Right. And, and um, it doesn't take much to put them in a serious illness or situation. Okay, so it sounds like it's going to be obviously a busy year as it always <laughs> is, but I know you're probably looking forward to this upcoming school year. When does school start? How's enrollment looking? S- school starts a week, the, the day after Labor Day. Woo. We are within a week of welcoming all of our teachers back. We have new teachers started with us on Monday, um, and so they have been working hard to get oriented to our school system. Like I said, all the rest of our folks will be back on Monday. We have our big kickoff um, at Wheeler Park on Thursday morning, August 31st. What's that? What's that about? I didn't. That's just where we we just bring all of our staff members and have a big celebration. Oh, it's the staff. Yep. Because uh, I was going to come down and have some free food. No, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no we're going to have the Lancers play some music, oh, and nice. we're going to yeah. It's it's just a, a great opportunity for us to all be together. Sure. Um, and kick off the year, and then like I said, the day after Labor Day, it's go time. Our enrollments. Enrollments are good. Yeah, we're we're feeling really good. Uh, we just had another meeting yesterday where we're looking at. K-5, 6, 8, and nine twelve. You know, it's really interesting. Across Minnesota, Mankato, no exception, you know, the birth rate. And we've seen this coming for many, many years. There just aren't as many. Well, university, we obviously are <laughs> experiencing that too. Yeah. yeah, you know, there just aren't as many five-year-olds. Um, yeah. yeah. There just aren't as many five-year-olds. And so there, that means there aren't as many kindergartners. But when you look at the rest of our system, it's not only stable but growing. And uh, that's where you want to be in the middle of August. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on. We've been talking with the Mankato Area Public Schools Superintendent, Paul Peterson, as well as the Director of Student Support Services, Scott Hare. I appreciate you coming in today and talking about this very important topic. And thank you for coming in as well, Paul. We appreciate your info. Anything else before I let you go? That's dangerous when you put a couple <laughs> of school administrators in front of a microphone. But, no, we appreciate the opportunity to come in and see you. And, and uh, you know, the partnership that we have with MSU Mankato is is incredibly strong and um, always love the opportunity to come and share the news of the school district. So thank you.